0: Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm Joel Whipperfirth, Digital Transformation Lead for Winfield United, and joining me today is John Zook. So I'm John Zook, agronomist
1: for Winfield United, and on the phone with us today is Brad Rotman, Lab Director for Winfield United. Brad, thanks for joining us today on the show.
0: Welcome, Brad. I'm excited to be here. Brad, you mentioned the three categories of soil testing capability, physical, chemical, and biological. Let's dive a little bit deeper into a couple of those. The particular chemical piece, which, you know, as an agronomist, I would recognize as a Bray P1 test, an Olsen test, pH, the ability to test for micronutrients. You guys have been doing some pretty interesting new tests on potassium in particular called a wet K test. And maybe, John, maybe new is not the right term for it. Maybe it's just new to me. So,
1: I guess I don't want to steal the thunder from Brad. I let him answer the question, but Joel, this is, I mean, this is old information. However, the strategies around it and where the industry went because of what we knew back in the day, what we thought we knew back in the day, maybe is what led this to be somewhat of a hidden new technology. So Brad, I'll let you take it from there.
2: Sure. When labs first initially started testing soil, they did what they call a paste method. It was very manual, and it was mixing soil and water and making a paste out of it, and then they ran their uh, extractives across it. That was you know 60 years ago, and even before that, not many people were doing soil analysis on every acre that they were taking uh, in, and it was more, I, I do one sample in a section. And now, as the industry has changed in the 70s and 80s, they figured out, hey, this base method is just too laborious and they couldn't do it at scale, so they moved to this dried and grind method. Well, when they moved to that, one of the things that got changed was the potassium, and especially in areas where they got this uh, two-to-one clays. And so as they looked at doing that, they started seeing, hey, I got inconsistent results, and it varied a lot. I'm not getting the same response out of my potassium. So Dr. Malerino at Iowa State brought uh, back, he was doing the fuel moist method, but then had to change because the industry moved. But in the 2000s, he started looking at it going, you know what, I think I had better results with this paste method. And he started going back to that paste method, and he saw more consistent results out of his studies. And that's where Solom, the founder of Solom, said, hey, you know what, this uh, device that we made for no-weight nitrate, it makes a nice slurry. Maybe we can come over here and, with a supply. And sure enough, it works. And what you get out of this is a better response for your potassium applied in your field. If you have ratios of 20 or or higher of 2 to 1 clay, you probably, if a dry ground method, you probably see some erratic measurements from year to year out of that method because the clay layers are opening up and that potassium is getting released. And you're measuring that, and that potassium is not really available for that plant in the field. And when you measure a field moist method, you're actually measuring what a calf is in the soil that the plant can can get a hold of.
1: So I just was scratching down some notes here, Brad, as you were talking, and really... As an agronomist in Southern Minnesota, one of my number one questions, and it goes on every year, whether prices in the markets are good or whether they're going down or whether they have been down and they're not getting any better. One of my number one questions is how do I read my soil sample and what nutrients do I apply? If I got unlimited dollars, what do I put down? And if I have strapped dollars, what do I put down to make sure that I have the best crop? In all situations, that's really a a number one question. And, And I go back to some of results that i get on a field moist test especially with potassium with the accuracy looking at different drainage capacities of the soil whether it's highly drained soil marginal low it's going to be able to differentiate what that K level is right at the plant availability versus, hey, what's just the K in the soil by drying and grinding it and exposing all those clays. And that, I think, really leads into the physical characteristics of the soil that we're maybe learning a little bit more about. And then maybe futuristically, what are some of the biological characteristics of the soil that we are just kind of dipping our toes in? And all those capacities are kind of just being dabbled in right now at Solum.
0: You know, John, when you specifically talk about the soil texture piece of the physical properties, our field forecasting tool requires some physical properties be inputted into the model. And and the primary purpose for that is, As we're modeling out water infiltration and how much rainfall comes down, we want to be able to model out how much plant-available water is in there. And so this physical piece has become a big play recently. And, you know, I I think of how we typically texture soils. Brad, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, how long does it take, again, for you to physically do a texture of soils? And what's our opportunity to improve that?
2: The short method that's out there today is about two and a half hours the original method is about eight hours. So, yeah, getting texture on a soil is not something that's very easy to do, and it's not a very subjective measure. It's not very quantitative because it relies on someone to come back when a stopwatch goes off, and then they have to physically measure where a bobber is in the soil. So doing texture today is, one, very lengthy, and two, kind of subjective. Our goal as we get sampled in is to figure out a method that we can rapidly give back texture measurement. When we're doing this today, we're actually taking the old style method and taking, uh, we've had about over 14,000 samples that now we have texture on across the country and we're comparing it to the sergo measurements that's out there. And what we're finding is there's quite a bit of difference uh, in what that uh, sergo is versus the actual measure and really trying to drive the business case and say, yep, yeah, this is an area that we should be looking at how to do a rapid texture measurement. Because like Joel, like you're saying, texture plays a big portion into any model that's being created whether it's water infiltration whether it's nitrogen any mineral movement in the soil that texture plays
1: a big part so when we talk about physical characteristics and texturing the soil it's just i mean what we're caring about here is percent sand silt, clay right i mean that's what we're caring about and i mean two and a half to eight hours to get that result when I can go out and ribbon in the soil, right, and give you an idea. Thing is, Joel, is back to your field forecasting comment. I played around with that a little bit, enough to know that, hey, if I change the sand, silt, clay, I'm manipulating bushels across that field. Maybe I'm only changing 5 to 10 bushels, you know, even if I skew the percentages. But what I find is by skewing those percentages, I'm changing 5 to 10 bushels. But then how I manage the nutrients is what's going to be the biggest difference across those skews. So the model might not give me a huge change right off the bat, but management style and practices is probably going to be one of the biggest factors that influence that. The other thing that I always think about with this physical conversation is... Could we do better at talking about, could we give a crusting index? Is my soil gonna crust? Do we measure that as a factor of clay content? I don't know. We always talk about it out of that. The other thing is what about flocculation or aggregate stability? I mean, all those kinds of physical measurements of the soil then really tie into the management practice, tillage type, soil health. All those issues kind of come together right there. And we really know the little about those physical characteristics versus the, the nutritional component of them
0: yeah you know that that physical element. I, I having uh, walked some farm fields before i was I was walking it with uh, with one of my mentors, a guy by the name of Bob Shopper, who walked me over to the fence line when we started talking about aggregate structure and soil colloids. And he walked me over to the fence line and he said, You know, if you really want to tell what the soil's capable of from an infiltration and from a colloid perspective, go take a shovel full of soil, take the sod off, you know, the top layer there, but go over to the fence line because that's where the structure is, what the highest potential of the structure would look like that's been under, you know, continuous grass rotation for the last probably 40 years or ever since the fence line was in. So the first time I really understood my perspective on soil structure and capability was when my mentor took me over to the fence line and dug a shovel full out.
1: And a lot of times I get the question on tillage and my answer with that is what what type of tillage should I use? And maybe this is a whole nother Whole another topic, but really my answer has boiled down to because of what I think about physical. And my answer is, hey, the only reason we do tillage is for seedbed prep of next year and control residue. Which if you're controlling residue, you're prepping the seedbed for next year. So a lot of times that soil is at its full capacity when it is untouched. But then how do we farm that untouched soil? And that's how we lead into tr- some of these measurements that that we need to get better at to assess what the capability truly is.
0: So Brad, the third topic there that you put out there, so we covered chemical, we covered physical. This last one, and man, this one seems as wide as the ocean is deep, is biological. Tell me about what the runway is for Solem Labs to do biological assessments on soil.
2: That's what I always call the biological, the wild west of uh, soil testing, because it's an area that we're just scratching surface on. For years, we've looked at organic matter, and that's a a very high level look at the, the soil and from an organic standpoint, but as we get these new techniques that are coming from the medical industry, the costs are coming down, uh, being able to look at the DNA of the soil and being able to tell what's going on, it's just unlimited where we can go. The problem is it's unlimited. That we need to really focus and trying to make that connection with the growers what DNA could tell you. So what we're doing is we're looking at taking some measurements today that are done not very efficiently, but growers want to know, like uh, pests and disease, and being able to try to do them at a more scalable level and more uh, frequently across your field, and to be able to take those methods that are very subjective and turn them into a very quantitative measure using DNA, and uh, we're starting down that path, we're probably looking at doing SDN here in the next year and being able to try to do it on every sample that comes in the field and try to create a heat map for a grower so then they know where to apply the pneumaticides that go on there on the field. So we're trying to take measurements that are out there today but not done very well and not done very frequently because of cost and bring that cost down and be able to give them a map. So get people used to using this type of measurement and then start looking at these other, you know, the millions and billions of other microbes that are on there and trying to create some relationships down the road with those. But first got to crawl before we can walk in this, this arena.
1: So one of the agronomic topics, Brad, that you mentioned is SCN, soybean cyst nematode. And then also I think about diseases. Could we look at disease potential of the soil? But... I step back and I think of our current sampling procedure and practices. Do you think that a two and a half acre grid is truly enough to give us the differentiation we need? Or what would be the next step? If you were looking at managing some of those, what would be the next step to try to get the map that you need to start to have those recommendations across the acre, and where is Solem going with that?
2: I would look at this is if a grower has been doing grid samples for 15-20 years they pretty much have on a two and a half acre grid they got kind of a history of their field probably the next place to start then was start looking at those yield maps and really identify okay i've been seeing this and i've been treating this as part of the field just like i have with the rest of it but it's just not responding all the measurements everything else so then you maybe start creating some zones where I'm not getting the yield that I think I should be getting. the soil, it looks the same, and it does, but it's not acting the same and not getting the same response. And so then maybe that's where you start creating some zones about where you really want to do some more intense sampling. So maybe you do 20, 25 samples in an 80-acre field today. You may not do less in the future, but you may do them more spatially across the field that makes sense for that, where you're seeing that yield differences. So you get it where you're seeing seeing that better ROI on the additional analysis that you want and not do just, uh, oh, I'm going to do a standard grid and miss out on some opportunities in the smaller parts of the field.
1: Yeah, so one huge eye-opener that I had this fall, and and I kind of – got caught being a little bit of a smarty pants on this one as grower came up to me after a meeting and, and said, hey, you know, I'm, I got this home farm and I know the fertility's right on it. I managed for everything this year. And this is soybeans, which may or may not be my third favorite crop. There's two that come before that. So, Joel, it's kind of like your children, right? I mean, kind of go...
0: I like all of mine the same, just to be clear.
1: Exactly. Okay, <laughs> we always say that. But so, so soybeans, we're talking about soybean management and goes, hey, I did everything, and I spent a lot of money trying to manage these soybeans, and you know what? I got 58 bushel. Like, tell me what I can do to get better soybeans managed. So I was being a smarty pants, and I just kind of said, well, okay, well, I did everything, fertility, did foliar, and I said, did you take a cyst sample? And he goes, no, but I will, I haven't, I've taken one four five, six years ago. And, and, but I've been on a rotation, you know, corn, bean, corn, bean it shouldn't be a problem. I only had a couple hundred eggs per hundred CC, which hundred CC is a cup of soil, right? Small amount of soil. And so, Couple weeks later, his agronomist got a hold of me. And the only reason I knew it was that grower, because the agronomist sent me grid soil samples of SCN. He had gridded that farm on his grids. And some of his SCN levels were so typically we see a hundred eggs per hundred CCs. We were seeing fifteen to twenty-five thousand eggs. So just to give some a little bit of perspective of what some of those yield robbers are, we're not even really testing for them yet. And the tests that we do have for them isn't something as quantitative as it can be at the microbial level.
0: Yeah, well, as you said, he grid sampled the cysts for his farm. I'm just thinking that probably 40x the amount of cyst samples that lab took in all of last year. And Brad, you're probably picturing the person who had to dilute that sample down into a subsample, into a subsample, and then legitimately... They look at it under a well plate that has a a grid on it, and they sit there with, you know, like the umpires have the little clickers where they count strikes and balls. They legitimately sit there with a clicker counter trying to count how many eggs are inside that microscope. So somebody's eyes probably uh, need to get checked out at the eye doctor again here after having, you know, an extra 100 hours behind a microscope just to look at how many cysts were in each of those samples. So I was
1: hoping to end that conversation with the grower just to say, hey, you haven't taken a cyst sample. They're probably stealing your yield. I don't know how to help you on soybeans. He came back to me and said, yeah, I got cyst. Now what do we do? So current processes of figuring that out. And it leads me to the second most common question that I have on these soil samples. Number one is how do I read fertility and how do I do a better job there? But the second question that I'm having, especially this year, is around that soil health component of how do I feed my microbes? Do I add brown sugar to my spray? Do I put in humic or fulvic acids in furrow? Do I start to manipulate these microbes in the soil to hope to see that I get more release of nitrogen, better uptake of phosphorus, all those certain components? And that's really moved to like my number two question. And I just don't feel like we have enough of those tests or any answers to provide to say, hey, are we making a difference with any of those products? And I hope that this biological rave is going to be directed through some of these sampling procedures that we're working on to quantitate what's actually in our soil.
2: Yep, that's the goal. And it's not chemical, physical, or biological separate. It's a systems approach. So as you manipulate your field, and you try to, you you change from one cattelage practice to another, it could be that we're disrupting the micro population and it needs to settle down in between there. But we just don't know enough to know what we don't know about this, this area. But first step is learn how to measure and then we can start from there.
0: You know, Brad, I'm excited to hear you talk about all three of those characteristics put together, physical, chemical, biological. And that really brings about the conversation that sustainability is trying to have with being able to measure soil beyond just our typical pH and chemical properties to it. Certainly we're looking at how sustainable a soil is based on the production practices that go into that, I really believe that Solum is doing something different. And the best way to support the continued R&D that goes on there is obviously to send a soil sample to Solem, and you know both send your existing sample stream to Solum, but also send the samples in of areas that you're trying to discover.
2: Yeah, that's what we need. We want to serve the customers today by giving them what they need for making the recommendations of today. But we also are going to take those samples and start working on those things that for recommendations for the future. And those recommendations will be tied into the other tools that Winfield United has with the field forecasting. When we uh, look over at sustainability for True we'll be adding our measurements into those tools to help them make them even better.
0: So as you look at how that works together in there, is this a place that you guys are starting to work with some data science, you know, that you're starting to actually build out models and algorithms based on the sampling? Tell me about how that's changed the sampling business beyond just having a really robust laboratory information system that gets the sample in and back out to the customer. Tell me about how data science has changed the labs.
2: Yeah, data science, you know, it's all... People quoted out their Big data, but it really is about data, about being able to look at trends that are happening out there, not in your field and yield perspective, but what's happening in the surrounding areas, being able to aggregate that data at a higher level and then leveraging it back to your particular field being able to look at that data at that higher level. We're just scratching the surface of that and just looking at a retailer perspective, how they're performing on the nutrient side of things. But as we start digging into the mining, all this data that's coming into it, as we analyze those samples, there's a whole other field out there. And you, you merge that along with the data of the weather. That plays a huge part of the overall system that we're looking at.
0: Yeah, so John, as as I hear Brad talk about that, I have to ask you the question, and this might come as a shock to you, but do you think soil samples need a blockchain? So I was thinking more in the terms of like
1: machine learning or random tree algorithms or whatever. But yeah, to that point, I mean, that could definitely be an integrated system that would probably allow that process to go on.
0: Okay, so maybe it doesn't need a blockchain. Maybe it does need a blockchain. Maybe it needs a database and that database capability to be mined. So, Brad, I'd like to go through a little bit of a lightning round with you here, and I'm just going to fire out two opposing words or views, and maybe you can give me your initial preference on them. You're welcome to elaborate later. Are you ready for a lightning round? Sure, go for it. All right. So your preference on the following, Tesla or Ford? Uh, Tesla. Okay. Grid samples or zone samples?
2: Uh, Grid if you don't know anything, zone if you know something about your field.
0: Okay. Is it soil or dirt? It is. Soil. Soil. Uh, Is it build or removal?
2: Build.
0: Build? And then is it data or data?
2: Data.
0: Okay. Well, at least that that helps us profile you a little bit as where you stand. This is like uh, one of those Rorschach tests where we get your your psychoanalysis based on those.
1: Ah, Sure. Always being analyzed. So Brad, we talked about all the things that uh, Solem can give you, and for a grower perspective as well as an agronomist perspective, can you tell us a little bit about where we can go to learn more about Solem or who we can contact to get in touch with somebody that can teach us more about Solem?
2: Yeah, the best place to start is talk to your local Winfield retailer. They'll get you in contact with the uh, Winfield agronomist or the Winfield sales team, but they'll be the best spot to start Is your local retailer that uh, handles Winfield?
1: Yeah, great. So thanks, Brad, for being on today. We really appreciate your time and your conversation. You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. For more episodes, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and dealwithyield.com. Thanks, Brad. So we're always looking to improve the Deal With Yield listening and experience. If you visit dealwithyield.com backslash survey, so you type in dealwithyield.com backslash survey, you can find a link to the survey. If you take the survey, you'll be entered to win an Amazon gift card. Thanks. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes open to residents of the U.S. who are 18 or over. Void where prohibited or restricted by law. Subject to official rules available at
0: dealwithyield.com survey. Sweepstakes end June 1, 2019. Sponsored by Winfield United.